Hi, and welcome to Beyond Bold by The Bold Age. Our aim is to encourage and support people approaching retirement and in later years to live a longer, healthier, more active and bolder life. We also want to create a dynamic voice for social change, recognising that boldies can and want to add value to society. In Beyond Bold podcasts, we will reflect on a host of topical stories, relevant news, and also interview some great people who are making a real difference to our Baldy community. Hi, my name's Andrew, and welcome to Beyond Bold podcast. In this episode, we're going to be looking at bold news, where we dissect pieces of interesting and quirky news from across the globe and have a roundtable coffee chat discussion. Today, I've got Stephen Nigel with me. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Well, guys, we're here again. It's our uh, second news podcast. Uh, and after the first one, I'm actually going to say I'm really intrigued with what you guys have actually come up with. So who's going to uh, who's going to kick us off? Steve, do you want to kick us off with what uh, what you've got with your first one? Absolutely. Uh, the first one is around handshakes. So, gentlemen, how firm is your handshake is the question of the morning. That's a really good one. Well, apparently, those in the know, the experts, have done some research on this and grip strength in general. And apparently, the strength of your grip can be linked to the blood oxygen saturation in your body. So they did some research comparing hand grips uh, whilst also measuring people's fat, body mass, lifestyle info, etc., etc. And they found a very clear link between low levels of oxygen saturation in the blood, therefore a weaker handshake, and that could then link to issues with heart and brain function because your body is not delivering enough oxygen to your organs, which I thought was fascinating. Mm. That is. And a very simple test that could highlight any potential underlying health conditions. I've got to say, though, I'm I'm so amazed as to... uh how people come up with some of these research topics. I must admit it's something I uh, haven't heard before. Uh, but we like it quirky at the bold age, don't we, so? <laughs> and they'll have to um, wait until March or so next year, or if they come up with an alter- alternate mechanism to do it by elbow shaking. Handshakes a few far between. This is a good point, Andrew. No, not until at least March next year. Yeah, it's fascinating. So, but uh, so you've got these gripper things that used to well, they still exist um, to strengthen your grip. By doing Absolutely. that, it's not just strengthening your grip. It's is that improving your overall health, or is that well, well those gripper things the that, you're, uh, that you're describing are predominantly there to develop your forearms. Uh, with my gym owner hat on. <laughs> So I can't just sit on the couch with those gripper things and then improve my entire health. But Sadly not. If only it was that easy. Okay. Everyone's still searching for that magic pill that does that. <laughs> so it's bad news if you've got a wet lettuce handshake. Is that the... Uh... Not wishing to generalise too much, but yes. The firmer the handshake, in theory, the more oxygen getting around your body, the healthier you are. But does that mean then that... Because Donald Trump is known for his heavy-handed, heavy handshake. Is he in very good health then? Maybe he's healthier than everybody thinks. 
He survived his term in office and amazed me. But not according to him. He's uh, he's very healthy. Oh, absolutely. Picture of health. So there we go. That's the news of the day. Handshakes. Well, you've actually floored all of us, I can tell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that one. Goodness gracious. As you say, Nigel, it's uh, how people come up with these hypotheses to test. I mean, who would have thought of some academic sitting in an office somewhere going, I'm going to test someone's handshake versus their health. Yep. Who and knows? Then how much funding have they had to do that, which could have gone to perhaps better uses? Yeah, I, st- I still can't, I can sort of understand it, but I have difficulty with, uh, with it being consistent across the board for everybody. I'm not convinced I would use it as a uh, as a fixed health marker, I must be honest. But interesting nonetheless. You must have come across, Steve, plenty of people with sort of weak handshakes that are extremely fit. Yeah, I think a lot of it um, can depend on how whether or not people like being touched by others in all sorts rather than the health of your body. But, you know, oh, goodness. takes all sorts in this world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Andrew, go on. What, what's, what's your first one? Well, linked to the to the research element, I came across an academic paper from UCL, University of Greenwich, and University of Westminster. Um, and these researchers, there was a team of six or seven of them, uh, they decided to use machine learning to see if they could identify early onset dementia, but in particular with people who use British Sign Language. So what they've done is they've had, uh, I think it was about 500 um, participants. They've taken videos of them talking with uh, sign language. And they, with 88% accuracy, have been able to identify whether the person has dementia or not. And it's all to do with the tracking of the eyes, the nose, the ears, neck, etc. And they were looking at the hand trajectory and the sign trajectory and the speed of them signing. And they were all factors that were taken into the to the algorithm that allowed them to determine whether the person has uh, dementia or not. So they're looking at this could be the potential to early diagnose people with dementia. And it could, I, I think, the, the the implication is wider than just those that have uh, that use British Sign Language, because obviously we all talk with our hands and that. So maybe there's a further element that actually just watching how people change their movements over time could uh, identify dementia and or other diseases. Gosh, well, again, I think that's uh, that stumped us again. But to have the technology to do that is amazing. Mm. But you have to be somebody who can sign for them to actually do this. Yeah, so I mean, apparently there is a population of about 50,000 people in the UK that are uh, fluent British Sign Language speakers, um, and yeah, so they've they can obviously they've taken videos over time of people and compared people who have dementia with those who don't have dementia, and looking at the fluidity of the hand movements, which makes sense when you think about it. Well, think about what other areas do people use their hands quite a lot. That'd be quite fascinating if you can mm. then use it as you say, Andrew. To uh, do other things other than British Sign Language. 
Yeah. And actually, one thing they were saying is, yes, the experiment has been done on British Sign Language, but clearly it applies for American Sign Language, Australian Sign Language, any sign language. Yeah. I was just thinking about other sort of careers and jobs and things that people have that will include, you know, using quite a lot of their hands, hairdressers, orchestra conductors. Yeah, completely anything where you can track, because I guess what they're doing is a, well, one of the elements was looking at the, the hand trajectory and the sign and the speed of them signing. So if they were previously conducting at a very fast pace, ignoring the piece of music that they're conducting, you keep your piece of music constant, uh, you would be able to see if that conductor's pace of conducting is changing or if they're taking bigger or smaller strokes than they used to. And that could be an indicator that uh, something is changing. It's actually, it is really interesting because it reminds me of um, an article. We did a news piece on an announcement that I think Alzheimer's Research UK had in conjunction with maybe the Bill Gates Foundation. And it was a, a watch that they wanted people to put on. And over a period of years, they're going to track users of the watches to see you know how their gait changes on the steps they take you know obviously heart rates and uh, and other physiological areas were going to be the markers this watch was going to be give sort of invaluable data uh, over a period of time yeah there's so many um just so many different ways that technology can now help to identify and track our change in health as we as we age. Right. Well, mine is from the Orange County Register, a column written by a woman called Helen Dennis, who's a nationally recognised leader on ageing and retirement in the US. And she was actually responding to questions from a from a geropsychologist and author called Joseph Kaskiani and. She, in this column, was was talking about some of those responses that she actually gave, and there were sort of three questions that he posed. And the first question that he posed was, "Many of the he said many older adults don't see aging as a positive experience; rather, they see aging as a stage of decline, despair, and helplessness." And he asks her, "What would you say to such an individual?" It's quite interesting because she straight away didn't hide from the downside of that. You know, she said, aging is a declining process, that's the bad news. And then she went on to say, you know, we lose muscle mass and lung capacity. Your immune system doesn't work as well. And digestion time changes and skin loses some of its elasticity. Um, but the good news is, is that she said, we can slow this process down by our lifestyle choices. And what surprised me was that there'd been a study done of fraternal identical twins the researchers found that 70% of physical aging is due to lifestyle and only 30% is due to genetics. Wow. And, and I found that really, really interesting because that means essentially that most of us, if we take our own, take responsibility for ourselves and we can do a lot to help ourselves later on in, in, as, we, as, we're, as we're getting older. You often see that, don't you, people in the workplace, those that are more that are more elderly and still at work and still running about and busy, busy can be a lot uh, fitter and healthier on the surface than those people that are perhaps retired and have 
decided to take life easy. Uh, when you could compare them both, I think, you know, one of them does look a lot healthier, more energy, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And she actually goes on to say, you know, rather, rather than feeling like a victim, you know, people should seize the opportunity to age well. Uh, and again, it sort of fits in with the bold age again. And she goes and talks about embracing and implementing exercise, good nutrition. And also what was really interesting that she did talk about quite a lot in the article was about having a sense of purpose that leads to better cognitive functioning, greater physical agility and increased longevity. So sense of purpose was really important as far as she was concerned. That's a much higher percentage than I expected, the 70%. Yeah, me as well. Second question that he actually asked her was what needs to be done to continue the shift towards positive aging? And her key thing was really call out ageism. And by calling it out, she means the stuff that you see in social media, newspapers, newsletters, advertisements, you know, somebody saying something, government policies, medical practices. And we've just written an article on COVID ageism. Uh, and then she talks about promoting multi-generational connections. The one that I actually found really interesting was she called it eliminate the greedy geezer belief. I was going to say, what's the greedy geezer belief? That sounds interesting. What she's saying is, is that there is this notion that older adults are a drain on society and they're depriving younger people of resources. And what people have got to realize is that those over age, age 50, you know, and in the US alone, it's, they contribute $7 trillion to the economic activity of the US. That's just a huge amount. And I think we, we've said it before, that if you take, certainly in the 60s and above, in the EU would be, I think, the third highest sovereign Welsh nation, wealth nation if we were, if we were a country in our own right. And that's a huge economic powerhouse. So anybody that thinks older people are taking resources away have got to think again. And it's only going to get bigger, isn't it, over the coming years, as you know, that percentage of the population is set to grow considerably. So Yeah, so it's going to be up to 25% by 2040. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a doubling. Population, which is just massive. And then he asked her, what were any final recommendations? And... Her first one was that we as Baldies should actually take a lot of self-responsibility and act on the knowledge we have about aging. So, you know, it's in our own hands, a lot of it. We need to take care of ourselves and adopt a healthy lifestyle and embrace technology. And she goes back and talking about the sense of purpose again of, of actually being valued. So exploring ways to give back society and contributing to make society a better place sort of values that we talk about at the bold age i think coming back to that calling out ageism though and as you rightly say picked it up in a, a couple of the articles um the, the language that's used is just so you don't realize it's ageist until you actually sit down and look at it I and mean, even you were talking about the in the previous article about the dependency ratio, um, and that's the number of people over 65 to the number of people in the working age. 
they're not dependent um, contributor to society. It's uh, it's very much uh, the just baked into to everything that's uh, baked into the language. And it's the imagery as well, because Nigel and I were trying to research some images the other day of older people, and it's really difficult to find, you know, positive images. The, the default seems to be, you know, old people taking it easy, withering away, you know, almost waiting to die, and that isn't the case at all. And it's not till you look at it with a different set of eyes that you appreciate how bad it is. Yeah. It's atrocious, really, quite frankly. And, and does need calling out. But I also think it begins with us. I mean, I have used the phrase, I'm just a grumpy old man at times. I'm not an, a grumpy old man. I've been grumpy all my life, as I said in my first ageism article that I wrote. Notice we said nothing then, Nigel. <laughs> there was a deafening silence. Thank you guys for the support. <laughs> I should have paid you both before this, uh, this podcast started. Right. Okay, let's move. I think we move on then at that then. So, Andrew, your your second uh, news piece. It was actually linked to what you were just talking about, um, coincidentally. Uh, so, China Daily, which is the largest English language uh, newspaper in China, uh, did an article at the end of November called Post-Retirement Blues. Um, so the definition of aging society that they use is the percentage of population over 65 years. Uh, in 2000, China reached that with 7% of the population. So they had an aging society back in 2000. Um, their family structure is the one, two, four, which I thought was quite interesting. And uh, what that is, you've got a single child looking after two parents looking after four grandparents. So their family structure is very much one of um, yeah, looking after your, your elders. So they have, uh, they, have, um, they have opened up the single child policy. You can now have two children if you're within a certain demographic um, or earning a certain amount, you're allowed to have two children, but it's still essentially um, that one, two, four family structure. And what they're looking to do is promote healthy aging and they're doing that because of this aging population uh, impending, which is going to peak even more. And there was a couple of things that they mentioned in the article that were actually really good. So they said, and it talks back to the, the contribution, and it said, by raising children and providing them with education and other necessities, senior citizens have already made their contribution to the nation's development. So it's not that they're dependent on them now, it's They've done the work earlier. We've already contributed. You wouldn't be where you are today without us providing you with the education and the necessities you needed to get to where you are today. Which I thought was an interesting way of turning it on its head. Much more positive. Mm. And then they're, they're also looking at um, providing lifelong learning and education, um, in particular around the, the technology aspect, so that people can keep working and serving society for as long as possible. And they're following, uh, similar to the Japanese model of uh, a society without retirement so that you can serve society at any age. That doesn't necessarily mean working a, a 40-hour work week, but it's providing those other services that um, that are needed in, in society. I really like the, uh, the concept that they've come up with there or the way they actually are approaching it. 
a powerful thing when you're talking to policymakers, isn't it? Yeah, well, when you think about um, about what you were saying before about even that dependency ratio, yes, that may be good now, but those people that are currently in their 40s and 50s that have children, it's the dependency ratio is the other way around. <laughs> um, and those people in future, well, unless uh, they actually support them, then society just won't move forward. There was an article I read where they talked about you know, older people, no point thinking of them as pensioners, you know, and that they just get a, an old age pension. What they're being given is that's a salary for doing a lot of the things that they do. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of volunteers who are in their 60s and over. There are people that look after, you know, they child mind. They go and spend money in restaurants and theatres when they're open. So they're contributing all the time. They're not dependent. No, no, very much not. Yeah, I thought that was quite quite a good one. And again, um, just shows the difference in a in approach between the Eastern uh, Asian and the Western uh, countries to to aging. It's great, Andrew. Steve, what's, what have you got? Something a little more lighthearted. This one in the previous podcast, you'll remember that we talked about Zoom face and people having uh, surgery and beauty treatments to look their best whilst on Zoom. Today, we're going to talk about tech net. Now, we are all of that age where we can remember the world before smartphones, tablets, laptops, and the world continued to turn back then as well. Uh, But now they're very much part of our life, and we spend a lot of time bent over, craning our heads down, staring at screens, whether they be your phone, laptop, or whatever. And some more research has been done. And that that movement alone of being bent over adds up to 50 pounds worth of extra pressure on your bones and muscles around your head, so predominantly your neck, top of your spine, etc. Your head itself only weighs around 12 pounds. So obviously 12 to 50, that's huge. Um, and then that very movement of being bent over all the time as well can create lots of folds in the skin. So whilst I was doing a little bit of research about this, uh, the article actually started off from someone promoting their beauty products to get rid of those terrible folds in your neck. But I did find it interesting actually how much pressure just that whole bent over motion uh, can add to your body. And even more scary is that the average person checks their phone or laptop 13 times an hour. I mean, I know my kids are glued to their phones, but 13 times an hour, blimey. Mm. How did we ever manage without these things? I had to turn the Apple introduced their weekly usage summary report that comes out. I had to turn it off because it was too depressing. (laughs) They they show you how many times you pick up and open your phone and how many hours you spent on various apps. Uh, it's just not, uh, I don't want to know. <laughs> you, you're not sharing that with us then, Andrew, no? No, but you're, you're right. Um, I think over the course of the day, it's about 150 times you open up your phone. I remember when I did have that report, I, um, this is where it's slightly different because phones are used for more than just looking at your phone. So apparently I spent three or four hours in one day on Netflix and YouTube, but that's because I've got it in the background as my music player or I like background noise. So that's my excuse. Yeah, we believe you. Lots of good straws there, I feel. 
and we become more hunched over. When you look at people, obviously I see people in the gym all the time, and a lot of people are now more naturally hunched over. You don't see many people with their shoulders back, you know, walking properly at all these days. Mm. Well, I wouldn't necessarily go for the cream for the for that, but um, a couple of things that you can get, and I found it to be useful. One, standing desks. They've been fantastic because um, then you're not looking down at your laptop. But you can also get these straps that go around your shoulder. I have seen those actually. Yeah. Back, and they're actually quite good. It gets sore after a while, um, but that's probably because you're sitting properly rather than hunched over. But yeah, they're good. There's about 10 quid off Amazon as well. So That's interesting, Steve. Really interesting. Well, mine is from a website called awaken.com, and it talks about Japan's older generation turning into gamers. found it quite interesting because it took me back to my childhood, actually, and it started off by saying... Close your eyes and you just think of that unmistakable sound of anime voices and the jingle of a completed lap around the electronic track and, you know, that ching of coins as they uh, as you win something. And what the whole story is, is that in Japan, if you opened your eyes, that the teenagers you'd expect to find aren't there. In fact, it's actually... The, the, the older population that are now spending more and more time in amusement arcades. Wow. And they say that the arcade industry is now shifting uh, its focus to older people. They said that it's really a sign of the aging population within Japan. So by 2060, they say that nearly 40% of the total population will be seniors and they'll outnumber children by four to one. So that's the reason why companies like Sega are now actively going out and courting older clients. I wonder if there's a social element to it as well in the uh, in the arcade. Steve, that's exactly what actually goes on. So that So Sega as a corporation are offering senior days and they say that, that the whole concept of older people going in is now morphed into an unofficial senior centre. Wow. <laughs> That's quite cool. So there was a, they interviewed one couple who are both 70, and they say that the arcade is friendly for their age group. It's fun here, they say, and it keeps my brain vibrant, which I also found quite interesting. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> The secret of a happy marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I can picture the scene then in 15, 20 years. We'll all be in the arcades. Yeah. Well, as, as I said, it took me back to my, uh, to my childhood because my grandfather, whenever we went to stay, and then we lived in South, he lived in, they lived in Southport, uh, which has got a sort of fun fair and amusement arcades, he would always always take us to the amusement arcades on uh, on the on the pier and also to the fun fair and i think he had more enjoyment than we did you have to wonder if it'll change in future though because the the arcade games so in 40 or 50 years is it going to be people of that age sitting around an xbox uh, playing call call of duty 
virtual reality. Yeah, as technology moves on, could be well, listening to our, the music from our childhood, childhood, which could be electronic or rave. It could be, but interestingly, I nearly chose another article from Japan, which was about nostalgia and technology. And it also came up in this article that people prefer the older type games. Okay. So the Space Invaders type, type. But as you say, you know, as as we all do get, will we all be playing Call of Duty? I can't play it now. For the moment, I get older. Well, they they were yeah, six really interesting pieces. Okay, I think you're, the last one, your um, one there, Nigel, was um, with Japan again. I think it just shows the difference, and we've got a lot to learn from Asian society. Yeah, well, as you say, from China's perspective, I mean, I think that's a really refreshing way of actually looking at things as well. But I have to say, Steve, you still take the biscuit for Zoom Face and Tech Neck. Well, I don't know where I'm going to go now for the next podcast. <laughs> I hate to think where you're going to go next. Uh, but it's been great again. It's been a lot of fun pulling these together. Uh, so we've got another... Two weeks to wait for the next one. And, mm-hmm. uh, well, hunt, happy hunting, I think, is most probably for the phrase. And, Andrew, I think you gave an invite out last time, didn't you? Yeah, so if, uh, if anybody does have any interesting news that they want to share uh, or join us and discuss, I'll just send an email through to alive at theboldage.com um, and we'll be in contact. Steve, we could do a uh, short video, couldn't we, on uh, on neck exercises? We could indeed. Keep that with me. Brilliant. Okay, guys, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye now. Take care. Bye bye. The Beyond Bold podcast is production by thebaldage.com.